Hi, I'm Dave. And I'm Paul. And we're going to challenge you to transform your financial future through the principles of the most profitable business in the world, banking. We believe everyone should be involved in two businesses, the business that you're in and the banking business. Everyday people can replicate what bankers have been doing for centuries to leverage capital and build wealth through private lending. Join us as we uncover the truths about money, expose lies and myths, and flip conventional financial advice on its head. Here we go. Hey, good morning, Dave. Good morning, Paul. Is it uh, too early in the morning for you to fix your hair? You got to wear a hat today? Yeah, I just I have too many colics in my hair and it's a big pain in the butt. So I figured I'd just represent my college for today. Yeah. Start what? wearing different hats, maybe. Maybe I'll wear the uh, the Nedved hat on the next one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've got I've got two of those now. So a couple hunting trips out there. Yeah. yeah. Nice, man. Well, hey, a new year. Um, why don't we do what everybody does and talk about New Year's resolutions? Which do you have any? No, no, I do not. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Me neither. I think they're I think they're stupid. My my take on New Year's resolutions: if it actually mattered to you, why didn't you start it in December or November or whenever you thought about it? Like it's to me, they're they're pointless. Yeah, I you know I'm um, I started running I think again three weeks ago. I was used to be a, a fairly prolific runner, and then uh, fought through some some injuries, and you know you get you hit forty or late thirty, stuff starts to like hurt. You know, kind of like my parents used to say, like you wait, and they were right. So I've been kind of fighting through some you know some uh, sciatic nerve stuff, some knee stuff, and it's all the left side of my body, like all of it. So anyway, but, uh, yeah, like three weeks been running up to six, I'm doing up to six miles per at, at a deep, you know, sub nine minute, nine minute pace, which is, wow. I used to run way faster than that, but anyway, well, so yeah, so it, you if gotta, I had a new year's resolution, it would be to continue that. Yeah. Well, you got to do that to, to keep respect in the army. Um, I, on the other hand, I choose not to run like that Seinfeld episode where Jerry says, I choose not to run. That's me. I will not run. Uh, unless, you know, for the, uh, for my military PT test once a year, you know, I, I'll train for a few weeks before that. So it doesn't hurt so bad. Other than that, no, I can do without. So yeah, Roger that it's yeah. supposed to like help my uh, good cholesterol, I think, or something. So yeah, you know, I have bad genes when it comes to that. So I have to do everything I can to improve it. I think it's just a trend. It'll pass this whole jogging thing. Well, anyway, yogging, yogging. I think it's a silent J. Um, all right, let's move on, man. So the, the last couple episodes, we talked about what is infinite banking. Then we talked about the mechanics. How does that the, the flow of dollars work? How do you build up the cash value inside a policy? Um, and, you know, what is the vehicle, which is specially designed whole life insurance, dividend paying whole life insurance. Um, today, I thought it would be a good time to talk about the pros and cons because the next logical question somebody might have is, hey, this all sounds great, and I'm sure there's a lot of good things, and we'll cover a lot of the pros today, um, but what are the drawbacks, right? There's got to be a catch is kind of what everybody sure. thinks and a lot of people say. So why don't we start with that? Uh, we'll hit on some of the cons, um, and then we'll we'll go through the pros. So why don't you start with you know what what's one of the cons in your mind? You know, we didn't list it here. But it just popped into my it just popped into my head as I've thought about past clients, uh, some of whom are um, like the biggest 
supporters of IBC and, and you are using it in their own lives. But oftentimes the first thing you get uh, with some people is, is this a scam? And, and and I don't know which part they're talking about. Are they talking about the whole life insurance portion of it? You know, one of the oldest, most stable financial products in existence? Or are they talking about the process of IBC? You never really know what what they're or why they default to thinking that something like this would be a scam. But um, I would say that's a con because that's part of the noise that's out there. And there's, I mean, you can go out on YouTube and watch videos of people kind of debunking that, like, is IBC a scam? And of course it's not. It kind of goes to the noise you're talking. So other people, that was one of my, what I say is one of the cons is other people, um, friends, family, coworkers, uh, financial advisors, financial entertainers. One of the things you have to get over when you start using this process is uh, all that noise from all the naysayers. And frankly, there's only one of two explanations for these naysayers is one, they don't understand it completely, uh, or two, they have an ulterior motive, right? They don't want you to do it because it takes money out of, out from under their control and puts it under your control. So, you know, these financial planners get paid for assets under management, AUM. And if your assets are in something you control, they're not getting paid for it. So that's, um, you know, most of them are, are very well intentioned, but I think most of them also don't understand this, this concept and, and how it's used. So what's another con? So, uh, no, those, I, I want to just follow up. That was a great, that's a great point with those types of folks. You're, you're kind of, you're taking their business and, uh, they, you know, it's a threat to them, right? Like assets under management, that's how they get paid. So mm-hmm. that was a great point. So I think the next con we could talk about is you sacrifice some liquidity in the early years. Um, and Nash talks about this. He addresses it in the book. He's like, listen, there's startup costs to becoming your own banker. You're not going to have, you know, every dollar you've paid in premium in year one is not going to be available to you as cash value that you can, you know, that you can leverage. In fact, you won't break, break it's going to take you 10 years, perhaps, maybe 12 years to cumulatively break even. And of course, some people get caught up in that. Hey, you know, I've paid premium for 10 years and now I have, you know, an equal amount of cash value and an equal amount of premium. And, you know, those numbers kind of meet. But again, that comes back to the long-term thinking, right? So if you're, if this is a long-term strategy, generational strategy, you have to be one of those people that can think long-term and not have to have that instant gratification, which a lot of young people, I think today, and I, I would include us in that in that generation too, even though we're, we're 42, um, you know, we want, everyone wants stuff now. So if you can get over that, like, and I don't look at that as a, as a negative necessarily it, it, but it's, it's sometimes addressed as one. It's just the way it is. Yeah. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's not a negative, but it's, it's one of those, it's a deterrent for people, people who can't think long-term, who can't think 10 years, in the future or 20 years or generationally, they're not going to be a good fit. Yeah. That the time is definitely a factor where it's going to take a a few years for every dollar of premium you put in to become a dollar, you know, an an equivalent dollar of cash value hitting those, the cash flow positive years, I call it. So, but from then on, it just gets more efficient every year. And that dollar you pay in premium becomes more than a dollar in cash value every single year after that. So, um, I would say the biggest uh, con 
is, uh, and again, a, a deterrence, I think is a better word, is the discipline it takes. So there's some people who just do not have the discipline to systematically put money aside and, um, and, and grow it without wanting to treat it like a piggy bank and say, well, I've got this cash value now. Ooh, that's a nice shiny new car. Or, hey, let's go on a Hawaiian vacation. We saved up all this money and, and take it out and, and spend it like that. You can't treat it like a piggy bank. You would really want to treat it like, um, hey, if I'm going to take this money out, would I take a loan from a bank to use you know, on whatever I'm going to use it on? If the answer is no, then you probably need to rethink why you're doing it. You really want to treat it like your bank. It's, it's there to finance your investments and, you, and your big purchases over life. So um, that's really about all I can think of for the cons, the drawbacks, the deterrence that would keep somebody from starting. Um, can you think of anything else before we move on to the pros? No, I liked, I liked what you said about discipline. Uh, and I liked what you said on how to, would you take a loan from an act from a, you know, a commercial bank to go do whatever you're going to go do with this money. I don't know anybody that has ever taken a loan out to go on vacation. So, um, I will say though, that if you are, if you are saving every year to go on vacation, Let's just use round numbers. If you're saving $10,000 a year to take a week-long vacation somewhere, Disney World or Disneyland mm-hmm. or wherever, you know that, that should be money that's captured as premium in your policy first. Um, and then I don't think it's inappropriate to use it um, to fund that vacation as long as you replenish that capital with next year's right. vacation savings. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. If you go into it knowing why you're going to put that money there and what, you know, earmark it. Like I did that. I opened up a policy for my, my charitable giving. So instead of just accumulating that in a bank account and then, you know, paying it, you know, sending it out somewhere else every month or, or annually, um, I accumulate it inside a policy and then take loans from that to pay that out. But I have a plan to not only repay that loan the following year with my charitable giving, uh, before I give it away. Um, but also a plan to pay the premium. So it's all, you know, it took some strategy to figure that one out uh, and put it in place. But now that it's there, uh, you know, now that death benefit can be used for a charity. Uh, when I when I graduate, I'll have that earmark. Like it's for charities, it's for church or, it, you know, whatever I designate it to be for. Good. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great use. I yeah. like that. So the last con I would say, Dave, is... Uh, <laughs> Uncle Bob and people, mm-hmm. people like Uncle Bob, right? So other people, friends, family, coworkers, your current maybe financial advisor, um, and then some financial entertainers on the internet, on YouTube, on television, um, that are going to tell you that whole life insurance. And I think they need to qualify their statement. They never do, but whole life insurance is just a terrible place to put your money. Why would you ever do that? Why would, um, there's, you're going to face a lot of those things when you tell people what you're doing. Um, frankly, I haven't come across that. Um, obviously you and I blog about, uh, dividend paying whole life almost daily. Uh, you do it daily for sure. And, you know, I haven't had a friend or, or coworker and I've got some pretty, you know, pretty smart friends and pretty smart coworkers. None of them have been like you're you're crazy, right? They're actually intrigued or interested, yeah. right? Uh, for the most part. So, but you're gonna you you can expect 
that since you're going against the grain, you're going against the mainstream of what 99% of Americans are doing, um, that you can expect that to, you know, cause some, Hey, uh, are you sure that's a good idea? So I would just, you know, as long as you're expecting that, um, and it's not really a con, it's just, it's just what is, yeah. it's just what's going to happen. Yep. Good point. Good point. All right. Well, let's talk about some of the pros Now we already mentioned several of the pros on previous episodes, but you know, there's a whole list and we could do episodes on, you know, each individual pro and, and why this, um, using this vehicle of dividend paying whole life insurance, uh, can only improve your financial situation, your whole picture. So, well, we're talking life insurance, right? So, and I think life insurance is properly named life insurance and not death insurance, because if it's designed correctly, you can use it during your life while you're alive, right? Like, which is what we're doing and what we're teaching. Um, but let's not forget there is a death benefit. So the income tax free death benefit from that, uh, if you die day one after signing your policy, um, if you want to talk return, like that's a huge return on the, the dollars you put towards it to the dollars that your family gets. Um, but the great thing about permanent insurance, which whole life insurance is a form of permanent life insurance, is that that death benefit is going to be there at the time that, that, that you're most likely to die, which is old age. Term insurance is always going to run out before you're 65 or 70. Uh, but you're not likely to die until after 70. So um, the death benefit, I'd say, is is a very big pro. What's uh, what's another one for you? Yeah, so this is often overlooked or not thought about by people um, is protection from creditors. And you'd have to you'd have to do some research on, on your particular state where you reside, because state, you know, insurance is generally state controlled as far as the laws that apply to it. There are obviously some federal uh, regulations as well, but uh, depending on what state you live in. But in most states, um, your life insurance contracts are protected from lawsuits, whether that's an ex or, you know, you, you crash into somebody's you know, car or whatever the case, um, your, 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 your policies are protected from creditors. And that's a, uh, it's just overlooked, right? You know, your checking account money, that's up for grabs. Your savings accounts up for grabs. Your retirement accounts can be up for grabs. Um, but your private life insurance contracts generally will not be. Yep. Great one. Especially for real estate investors. Cause if you're in the real estate investor game, uh, it's not a matter of if you're going to be sued, but when. If you haven't, you just haven't been sued yet. So it's a great place to protect that cash, that capital. Um, an, another one is guaranteed growth and dividends. So you got guaranteed growth inside the policy, and then you have dividends. Now, dividends are not guaranteed, but for the companies that we write for, uh, dividends have been paid out every single year for well over 100 years. And that's a criteria for me, for any company that I would write for, is that they have to have a, a one year, 100 year plus dividend record, you know, paying out dividends every single year. Now, the, uh, the naysayers will say, well, dividends are just a return of premium. You just overpaid your premium and you're getting it back. And yes, that's how the IRS qualifies them. That's how the IRS defines those dividends, a return of premium, which is why they're not taxable when they get added to your cash value. However, what those people overlook 
is that, well, if it's just a return of the premium that I overpaid, then why at some point in my policy does my cash value, is my cash value guaranteed to exceed my cumulative premium? So obviously their argument falls apart at that point, because if I was only receiving money back that I overpaid, then I would never have more money as cash value than I paid in, right? But that's just not the way it works. You end up with guaranteed a lot more cash value than you ever paid in in premiums. So that's uh, that's one of the biggest pros. Yeah, absolutely. And for you folks contemplating this, you know, we've got life insurance on our children. And when I look at, you know, the relative premium to what their cash value will be on the guaranteed side, not even including the dividends, it's many, 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 many times over the cash value that they'll have relative to the premium paid. So it's a very, very good, good tool and good asset to, to give to your children someday. So right now I own my children's policies at some point when they become young, productive Americans out there um, after college or after truck driving school or whatever, um, I'll hand those policies over to them and the ownership. But uh, anyway, so great point, Dave. Um, So what's next? What do we got? We've got, uh, you've talked about dividends, volatility. This question comes up all the time. In fact, one of my more recent clients was talking about just kind of what's going on in over the last couple of years, you know, with the with with the COVID stuff, with the market dip, and you know the the pending or looming correction that you hear about, you know, people talking about, um, you know, is my is my policy going to be affected by this, or are my policies going to be affected by what's going on on Wall Street? And the the simple answer is, is no, it's not. Um, you have guaranteed growth, contractual guaranteed growth in your policy, and that's what it's going to be. Um, your, your dividend, the non-guaranteed side, um, is also not going to be affected by what's going on there, right? So that's kind of, we could probably do, we could probably do money podcasts on why that is, but bottom line is you don't have to, I don't really pay attention, Dave, to what's going on on Wall Street. I really, I don't really care. Um, great point. And, and the volatility buffer, it's really a volatility buffer, and a volatility shield as Absolutely. well. So think about retirement. Yeah. And, you know, once you retire, if the market takes a 30% dip and you start taking money out of the market to live off of, it's sequence of returns is going to kill you. That's a thing that basically is saying if you take money out of a down market, you will never catch back up. So if you have a volatility buffer like cash value life insurance that you can pull from, Oh, and by the way, you can pull from that tax-free and create a tax-free income for yourself while the market is low. And then when the market rises back up, you go back to pulling from your qualified plans. That's that's a, a great aspect that a lot of people don't think about. So another one, we, we talked about the death benefit and leaving that to your family, but legacy and generational wealth. Uh, there's a great book out there. It used to be called What Would the Rockefellers Do? I think it now it's called What Would billionaires do. Uh, somebody might've gotten in trouble for using the Rockefeller name, but anyway, the whole premise is that I think, <clears throat> go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead, man. Yeah. Okay, I was going to say, I think they did Hey, can you not use our name? Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the whole premise is that <clears throat> every new Rockefeller that's born is issued a whole life insurance policy held by a trust. And when that person dies, guess who gets the death payout, the trust, the family trust. So do you think those Rockefellers have to go to a bank to ask for a loan? 
Or maybe they can just go to the trust and say, hey, I would like to take a loan. Now they have to pay those loans back, you know, for college or a new house or whatever. But even if they don't pay it back, the trust will be replenished and made whole again. And then some when that person graduates. So uh, generational wealth. So thinking long term. So when we say long term, it's beyond 10 years. It's think the next generation, your kids, your grandkids, um, your grandkids, your great grandkids. Um, Man, I wish my father had done this for me. Yeah, man. I had that conversation with my dad a couple of years ago. Actually, I had him read either the case for IBC or becoming your own banker right after you had sent it to me. I was like, oh my God, dad, you got to read this book. And he's, you know, my dad, hard worker, you know, worked three jobs most of my childhood or all of it, quite honestly. Um, smart man. But, you know, he... He delivered the Boston Globe at 3 a.m. You know, he delivered uh, 300 papers every day for 11 years and made good money doing it. It was actually about a buck a paper, right? So had that been paid in premium every 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 month, you know, the the $1,200 or so that he was making doing that, you know, back in the, you know, in the 80s and 90s, you know, he'd have a, a pretty good death benefit, pretty good lump sum, you know, pretty good cash accumulation. And he's like, man... I wish I had known about this back way back then. I was like, yeah, dad, me too. Um, anyway, so what else do we enjoy with these contracts? So we've got uninterrupted compound growth of the cash value. So, you know, Einstein said, you know, the eighth one of the world is compound interest. And, you know, our friends over there in California said, well, the, the ninth one of the world then is uninterrupted compound growth. And we only see that in uninterrupted compound growth, right? So that's what we enjoy inside these whole life contracts. Um, not only on the guaranteed side, but as you know, the non-guaranteed dividends, which you st- stated earlier, have a great history. You know, the the company where I have most of uh, of my policies has paid a dividend 117 years in a row since 1905 without missing a beat. So when you look at what's happened during, you know, in between then and now. And I think you talked about it, you know, you had the Great Depression, you had World War One, you had all these things, you had all the all the wars, all the conflicts, all the the dips in the market and the in the recessions. And these these companies are just so stable, um, which is why Warren Buffett, he's a big insurance guy. So people can look that up. But he's made a lot of a lot of money with insurance. Mm-hmm. Yep. Great mm-hmm. point. So one of the best things about this concept and and this system and how we utilize it is really what many of the episodes are going to be about. And that's leverage. So it and real estate investors under understand leverage, business owners understand leverage, but the ability to leverage your capital or, or an asset you have for somebody else's money and put that money to work. So the, you know, the way we do that is we leverage our cash value and create essentially a line of credit with the insurance company and borrow their pile of money to go do our investing and go do our private lending and go do our purchasing of business assets and, and, and purchasing other assets. Um, so we've got dollars working. One dollar is given multiple jobs. One, it's over here in the policy earning and working for us there. And then we've leveraged it to borrow another dollar and put it to work somewhere else. So we could go on and on about leverage, but uh, we'll just leave it at that unless you got anything to add. No, it makes me think of, you know, how much is that worth? How much is that, 
you know, everyone's gone through the mortgage process and we, we touched upon it in, in past episodes, but the, it's a pain in the butt nowadays. I bought my first house in 06. I don't remember it being very difficult. It was like, here's your credit, here's your checking account balance. And I, that's all I really remember having to do. It was very easy. You know, fast forward, I've, I've bought and sold, you know, six, six homes or so. And the mortgage process today, you know, in order to, you know, use other people's money is, is a real pain. I think on this last one, on this house that we live in currently where I'm sitting, I had to send in roughly 72 different documents wow. when you include all the tax, three different years of tax returns or two years of tax returns and checking account statements and the uh, life insurance cash value statements. We just, and they just kept asking for more. Oh, you moved money here to there. Why did you, it's just, I hate that. And I find it intrusive and sometimes offensive. Um, so how much is that worth when I could just log into my policy here and say, hey, send me $100,000? And I might need one form. And if it's more than a certain amount of money out of one policy or something, and the money just shows up direct deposit in 72 hours. So yep. I don't know how much that's worth. But to me personally, it's worth a ton just because the time I save by just having that that leverage. Nash tax talks about this in the book, right? Interest recapture. You know, the average American man is sending 34 and a half cents roughly out of every dollar to interest payments over his lifetime. Think about that. That is, you know, more than one third of every dollar is going away to someone else's bank and in interest. So that's what we're trying to talk about, folks, is with infinite banking, properly structured dividend paying whole life is that you can recapture a lot of that 30, 34 and a half cents of interest by just f flowing money you're otherwise going to use to finance something, finance an investment, a purchase, education, whatever it is. But if you've captured that money inside your own banking system first, you're going to recapture most of that interest and flow. You're now going to be flowing that back to yourself right? Through premium payments. And then once you use your leverage, your policy loan repayments are coming back to you. They're not adding value to your policy, but you're making that money available uh, to use again. Right. So I love, I love that one. That's, I mean, that's huge. Right. And that interest is going back. Of course you are paying interest to the insurance company to borrow their money, which makes sense, right? Nobody's going to loan you money without charging you to use it. Uh, but guess what? You own the insurance company. It's a mutual life insurance company, meaning if you're a policy owner, then you own the company. Policy owners own it. So dividends, i.e. profits, are then paid back to the owners instead of stockholders. So even the interest that you end up paying to the company that doesn't get recaptured in your own bank kind of gets redistributed to you through dividends, right? So um, why not put it back to something? Why not put that interest towards something that's going to pay you again and something that you own. Um, so that's a great one. And then that goes hand in hand with no lost opportunity cost either of paying cash. So, you know, Paul talked about, you don't have to go borrow money from an outside uh, entity and pay interest to them, but you also don't have to go throw your cash away. And that's, that's how I view it these days is the idea of just handing a big chunk of cash over to somebody in return for, for anything, especially a liability like a car, um, just makes me sick because that cash is out of my life and out of my personal economy forever. I can never earn interest on that again. 
However, if I first funnel it through my life insurance contract, it will sit inside that contract and earn for me uninterrupted forever for as long as I live. Uh, and then I'll use the insurance company's money to go pay cash for an asset or a liability if that's what it is. Um, so no lost opportunity cost. That's a big one that the people really need to understand. Okay. So there's actually a book called this, the and asset, uh, and it's a pretty good little book, quick little read written by a, a very young, young man in this business. Um, but what are we talking about when we're talking about that dividend paying whole life insurance properly structured as an and asset? And we've, we've kind of, we've already covered a lot of ground on this, but what we're, what we're talking about folks is that you don't have, it's not a either or choice. You don't have to either pay whole life insurance premium to become your own banker through this product or, you know, put money in your Roth IRA or donate to charity or finance education, right? You can do, you can do both, right? So your, your banking system, your dividend paying or series of dividend paying whole life insurance contracts is the place that those dollars should be put into first through premium payments, right? And then through the use of the policy loan feature, it can go, that money can go do something else. It can fund your Roth, for example. What a great way to do both, uh, if that applies to you. Um, I personally don't do that anymore. I don't put any money into qualified plans anymore. However, if I were to do that, this is how I would do it, right? I would capture that money first in my own system, and then I would, you know, do a you know lump sum of six thousand dollars into a Roth IRA or something. Yeah, good point. And you just said something that kind of leads to another advantage. You said you don't put money into qualified plans anymore, and neither do I because I don't control those. The government controls those, right? And they can change the rules on them anytime they choose, which they did twice in 2020. They changed the rules on your IRA, your 401ks. Uh, some changes were, were beneficial and some were not. And now everybody's dealing with the, the impacts of those changes. Um, and you know, politicians are, are predictable. They're gonna go after money. Wherever there's money, they're gonna go after it. So I like to keep my money off of their radar and out from under their control. And that's two pros that, uh, that I love about this IBC is privacy and control. It's private. It's a private contract between one private person and another private entity. Uh, and I'm the only one that gets to make changes to that contract. It's unilateral. So, and, and that privacy, the IRS is not involved when I take, loans against my cash value, the IRS, I don't have to report it because it's, it's a loan. It's like going to a bank and getting a loan. You don't pay taxes on a loan, right? So you don't, you don't pay taxes on a, a cash value loan against your cash value. Um, and then the, the control, I control it. Uh, nobody else is in charge. Nobody else can make any changes to this once it is in place, but me, I'm the only person who can make any changes. So therefore that that to me, the control aspect is one of the, the biggest features of, of all of this. And one of the biggest principles guiding, I think both Paul, your and my uh, philosophy on money is if you're not in the driver's seat, if you're a passenger, you've got no control, right? You can, you can help direct the driver, but the driver's at the steering wheel and they can run it into a pole or run it off a cliff if they choose to. And there's nothing you can do about it. Um, I want to be in the driver's seat. I want the control. Yeah, I love that, man. That's, that's spot on. It, uh, 
I tell you, it's a different mindset for sure. Once you once you're doing it, there's looking back to what I was doing seems silly. <laughs> it really does. Like yeah. handing money, you're handing money over to people that you don't know, that you don't control. Uh, in the hopes that they're going to invest it wisely uh, to your benefit, you know they're a fiduciary. You know, good luck I proving get, that they're I get my opinions on, but yeah, good luck proving in a court of law yeah. that they didn't do something in your best interest, right? Yeah, not not going to happen. All right, so we're going to wrap it up here. Um, the last couple of things is you have you know whole life insurance. You're you're enjoying tax deferred growth. You know, technically, I have to say tax deferred. However, you can with now we're I'm just going to talk quick mechanics. You can withdraw up to your basis just like you could in like a Roth IRA um, up to your basis tax free. And then after that, if you started withdrawing cash values, this is years later into the policy, right? You would be, you know, ordinary income tax would apply on those withdrawals above the basis. So above the premiums that you've paid. So the, the growth, right? However, we as infinite bankers, we just we use the policy loan feature. Mm-hmm. I will never, I will never withdraw money out of my life insurance contracts. It'll always come out via policy loan. Always, always, always. I will never take the dividend in cash. The dividend is always used to buy more life insurance, which expands my capital base, right? Gives me more cash value, expands my death benefit. You know, that's how the you know the hedge against inflation kind of occurs as well. The policies grow as you grow, right? Um and and Dave, what is what is all of this wrapped up into one little word mean when you have control and contractual access to a large pool of capital? What does that translate into? Opportunity, everywhere. Opportunity. So um, one of the the things that Nelson reiterates throughout the book, and something that was new to me when I read it, because frankly I didn't have the proof, is that opportunity is attracted to capital. If you have capital, opportunity will find you. You don't even have to go look for it. Um, and that that couldn't be more true. So we have opportunities coming our way all the time. Never a shortage of opportunity because we're well capitalized. And people start to learn that. And they start to learn who to go to. Um, so, you know, playing banker is great. Uh, just like people go to a bank because they know they have money. Right? People are coming to us because they know we have money. Same thing. So we like to really call this our opportunity uh, fund. Right. Opportunity fund. I like that. Yeah. Was it Willie Sutton's law? Right. Like, was he the bank robber? The bank robber. Right. And he said, why do you, the banks have all the money. That's why I go there. He's like, why why do you rob banks? It's so obvious. That's where they keep the money. Yeah. Right. It is. It's obvious. So don't overlook the obvious. Don't try to complicate it. So that's right. So, um, that's a good, that's a good spot to end it, Dave. I think, um, like I said, it, you know, it's not always going to be unicorns and rainbows, right? Um, you know, there, there's those startup costs that we talked about and you have to get over that. That is something that you have to accept, um, that you're not going to be cash on cash in year four or year seven or whatever, or you could be, I suppose in year seven, but anyway, there's some startup costs. You have to be a long-term thinker. Yeah, was the overall point of, of kind of addressing the if there are any downsides or perceived downsides to IBC and dividend paying whole life that uh, we wanted to talk about them. Yep, absolutely. But, you know, if you weigh the, the pros and the cons, put them on two sides of the of a ledger, um, you know, do it yourself. Take a look at it. And I mean, the pros far outweigh if you can make it through those first few years 
and uh, and be okay with that while you're building and capitalizing your banking system, then the the future is truly infinite. You know, which is where the infinite part comes from in this entire concept. So, yeah, great conversation, Paul. Uh, we went a little long, but we could have gone much longer um, with all of these, and we'll hit on a lot of these in future episodes, no doubt. Yeah, folks, we're going to try to keep these uh, roughly 30 minutes, plus or minus, just a few. We went a little bit long, but uh, you know, some good info in there. So appreciate your listening, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. All right, see you all. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. If you'd like to have a conversation with us to see how you can become your own banker, or if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to tackle on a future episode, please send us an email to David and Paul at theibcguys.com. And subscribe and leave us a review if you're on Apple. Follow and leave us a five-star review if you're on Spotify. And please share this with your friends. We'll see you next week.